So we're in Romans 3, 21 this morning. It says, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate the righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? Is it excluded because of the law? The law requires works. No, because the law requires the, the law, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is it God, the, the God of the Jews only? Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles too? Yes, of the Gentiles too. Since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through the same faith. Do we then nullify the law by the faith? None at all. Rather, we uphold the law. What then shall we say to the, say that uh, Abraham, our forefathers, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about. But not before God. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. You know, last time we talked about the Apostle Paul, that, uh, and the Apostle Paul established that righteousness was right standing before God. In other words, you could be in front of God and he did not see your sin. And it's given to any of us freely. It's truly because of the, uh, the, you know, the, the work of Jesus. His work was for us. His work of dying on the cross was for us. We needed the work of Jesus applied to our lives to not only in, you know, inter, enter into eternal life, but entering into it now. We start living in the new kingdom now in a sense of, of we are with God and God is with us because he's a part of us when we accept him. This is what Jesus calls the kingdom of God. So no matter what age we start believing, and it happens because we believe. It doesn't happen because uh, certain blood flows through our veins. It doesn't happen because uh, we were baptized as, as infants or because our parents were spiritual or, or, you, know, or, or you know, our families, well, our family's a Christian family. It doesn't happen because of, it happens because of personal decision that every person needs to make in their life. Romans 3.23, we went over it last week. Do you know it? For all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone who has ever lived has sinned. 
So when we get into that discussion with a friend who says, well, that's the problem that I have being a follower, you know, with all the followers of Jesus, that's the problem that I have. Because I don't believe that everyone sins. Uh, you know, I believe that there are good people and bad people, and I'm one of the good people. And, you know, God will let me into heaven because I'm 50% better than most people, or I'm 80% better than most people. Therefore, God will, will let me into heaven. It doesn't work that way. Christianity goes the exact opposite of this thought. It says that everyone has sinned. It doesn't say, well, basically everybody's good in t- you know, inside. So we grave on a curve. No, for Christianity, it's a pass-fail. That's what we believe. That's what the Word of God says right here. It's a pass-fail. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, last week, fortunately, we learned that the sentence doesn't end right there. Uh, you know, as we, uh, as we learn, there, there's kind of a comma there. And, and some people will go, well, wait a second. I thought Greek didn't have, a, you know, didn't have punctuation. You would be correct, but that's why we paid the scholars the big bucks to figure all this out. Uh, they, they look at context. They look at all that kind of stuff. And it says, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Now, we learned this last week. We didn't learn the first part and, and not the second part. We learned the whole thing. Because if we only learn the first part, we walk around going, well, everybody sins. You're a sinner. That's a sinner over there. That's a sinner. That's a sinner. We start kind of this judgmental attitude. So we have to learn the other part. And really, this is something else we, we talked about last week. This is the beginning of what we call the Roman road. This is what we're going to use, you know, Romans 3 to, to Romans 10, uh, to bring someone to the understanding of what Jesus Christ has done for them. Now, you can bring them there. You know, it's kind of like taking a horse to water. You can take the, you know, the old saying, take the horse to water, but you can't make them drink, can you? You can beat them to death, but, you know, they ha- just like a Christianity, you can get them there, but they have to choose whether to believe or not to believe. You can explain Christianity to a person just by using one book of the Bible. In fact, you can do it just by using eight chapters of the Bible in Romans. The first stop is everybody has sinned because you cannot come to Jesus without accepting that fact. That is the basis of the whole thing. You can't say, well, I'm a really cool person. It doesn't matter. They are a filthy sinner. Now, you don't go out there and tell somebody, hey, you're a filthy sinner. You need to come to Jesus. It doesn't work that way. The key is what happens after the comma. The key is that we are justified freely. Justified is to render righteous to acquit, to declare a person not guilty who is actually guilty. And we are all guilty, every one of us, before we are justified by God. So turn to your neighbor and tell them. Tell them. You're guilty. Okay, no, no, wait a second. You're not supposed to tell them that they're guilty. You're supposed to say, you're guilty. You see, that's the point. We like it the other way around, don't we? We like the finger pointing. Oh, man, you people. I would have done the same thing, you know? Justified to render righteous just as if you've never sinned. But in order to get into God's presence, 
I have to be made just. I have to be acquitted. I have to be cleansed. And I can't do that myself. So I take off, you know, down the Roman road. And, and you, know, we, we, you know, we went slowly through chapter 1. It only took 15 weeks. We're going to go a little faster now. We're already chapter 3. And, and we're going to hit a little bit on 4. But we went through chapter 2. And, and now we all admit, you know, as Paul went through there and he just nailed us on one sin after another, we can all admit I, I'm a sinner. And one of the big, well, they were all big, but one of them that we've been talking about is gossip. How are we doing on our gossip? Anybody gossip this week? Uh, yeah, no one wants to raise their hand. That's one of the things that we need to work on. What we're saying and how we're saying it about other people. We need to be very careful of that. And Paul shows us we all have sin. In Romans 3, he shifts gears and he says a righteousness from God is available to every one of us. And the way to get there is we have to do the first thing. And the first thing is to admit that we are sinners. Are you willing to admit? I mean, really, I mean, are you willing to admit that you have sin in your life? See, that's the key. That's the beginning of it all. I have fallen short of the glory of God. It doesn't matter how good of a person I am. It's like when I go to the Grand Canyon. I can't say, well, I can jump further than you. And we go jumping off, and yeehaw, I got three feet further than you. But guess what? We all go down, right? I mean, I'm kind of showing my age. You remember Evil Knievel? Strapped himself to a rocket, and he called it a motorcycle. He was a motorcycle guy. But why he strapped himself to a rocket and called it a motorcycle, I don't understand. But he shot himself across. Did he make it? No, he did not make it, for those that have a good memory. Thank you, Joe. You know, that's us. That's us trying to get to God without righteousness, without being made just, without Christ in our life. We're jumping off the edge of the Grand Canyon. Now, with God, we have better rockets than evil can evil have, and we actually make it through. You know, we make it over to the other side. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So justified, as if I never jumped. Now, how much does it cost? It says freely. It is free. Now, it's free to us, yes, okay? Totally 100% free. Like you go into the store and you go, wow, this says free. Can I really take this? And they go, yeah, it's free. Go ahead. Now, did it cost someone something? Yes. It cost Jesus dearly. It was paid for by somebody. This is why we celebrate communion. This is why we come together and, and talk about God and, and to remind ourselves that it is not free. Justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Redemption is, a, is a, the ransom for a captive or a prisoner. Payment has to be made, but it wasn't made by us. The prison guard shows up to your cell and says, today is your lucky day. You can either choose to sit there or I'm unlocking this gate and you can walk out. Someone paid it off. It was by the death of Christ, you know, Christ Jesus. That, that is what paid it. This is, what followers, this is why followers believe in Jesus Christ. We don't believe in a man that was just good. We don't believe in a prophet that's just considered holier than most. 
Jesus is not one in the line of many prophets. Jesus is not equal to to any other man or any other woman on this earth. Jesus is not one of something. None of them died for my sins like Jesus. That's why I trust in Jesus. He put his life on the line for me to satisfy the justice of God. I'm not a follower of Jesus because he did some really nice stuff and he was, he was really cool to the kids. You know, he let the kids come to him. Oh, what a nice teacher. I'm a follower of Jesus because he came to this land we didn't, didn't have to. He lived for, for 33 some odd years and, and, you know, with his holiness and his purity, he became a man and lived here. And for 30 years, he didn't do much. He didn't say a lot. But the last three years, man, he was baptized and started his great ministry. And they hated him so much. They arrested him. They spit on him. They pulled out his beard. They beat him. They mocked him. They stripped him naked. They put him on a cross, put a crown of thorns on his head, and crucified him. At at the crucifixion, all this weird stuff happened. It was all documented. And and they buried him in a tomb. And three days later, he rose from the dead. They opened the tomb and he was gone. Having defeated death. He he appeared to over 500 people in a month. 500 people. He then ascended to the Father. And went to prepare a place for, for those that are believers so that we could join him when we die. This is why I'm a Christian. Not because he was just a cool guy. Not because he was a cool guy. So don't water it down. Don't water it down. Don't compare Jesus to to other gods. Don't compliment somebody else living, you know, oh, well, they're living a a good life. I'm glad you have beliefs and, and you're living. No, don't compliment. That is not logical. Faith is when we believe in something that is there. We just can't see it. Not something that's just, you know, that is not really there. I mean, when we believe in something that's not there, that's not really smart, is it? It's like a kid who's sitting down and his friend pulled the chair away. You know, it's not there. What's he going to do? See, faith is important, but faith in the right thing is more important. In order for us to be justified, there had to be a satisfying payment. And it couldn't just be any payment. It had to be the right payment. Wouldn't it be weird if you had a key that opened every door in the world? I mean, that that just doesn't make sense. That'd be really bad, wouldn't it? Well, not for you, because you're not dishonest, right? But for everybody else, it is. Just, you know what I'm saying. Wouldn't it be weird if the, if the secret code was the same as everybody else's secret code? See, that's what's being taught out there in the world. They're saying all these other religions can get you to Jesus. In fact, a, a, a person that used to go here a long time ago, they were only here for a little bit of time um, and, and on Facebook, he put down, well, congratulations, everybody is going to heaven because Christ died for everyone. D- 
didn't matter what you believe. Doesn't matter if you're a Muslim. Doesn't matter if you're a Jew. Doesn't matter if you're agnostic. It doesn't matter what you believe. You're going to heaven because God's grace covers you. That is not what the Bible teaches. It's not. It's not just one of many religions. You just can't be spiritual. You have to believe in Jesus. See, the important thing is to have the right key. It says in verse 24, and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. No other key. That's it. Christ Jesus. Verse 25, it says, God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through, uh, through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance, he had left sins committed beforehand unpunished. And the sacrifice of atonement means a, a satisfying substitute. It's atonement. This is how God was, was appeased. Verse 26, he did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Now just means innocent and faultless and, and pure. It is God's character. God is this way. Now, praise the Lord, it doesn't depend on his mood. You know what I'm saying? Just like my son, there's times when he's in a good mood and he's in a bad mood. I'm the same way. There's times when I'm in a good mood and there's times when I'm in a, in a bad mood. You know what I'm saying? Praise the Lord, God's not like that. It doesn't depend on his mood. Since we are, we are not just... But he wanted us to be with him. He turned around and figured out a way for us to get to him and to become just by having Jesus as the justifier for our lives by the blood on the cross. No payment that I could have offered would ever be good enough. God provided the way. So in verse 27, he's talking to the Jews. He says, where then is boasting? Is it excluded on what principle? On that observing the law? No, but on that of faith. We cannot really boast about being good because we're all guilty, right? I mean, we may be good sometimes. I mean, my kids, are, they're both really good. Now, you know, Grayson, he's only a year and a half. We'll see what happens. You know what I'm saying? But Grandin is, is just a great kid. But guess what? He's guilty as anybody else. So that we give up then? I mean, we're all guilty. No, we accept Jesus and we no longer are guilty. So therefore, it doesn't matter what I do then, right? No, the Bible doesn't say that either. In fact, it says in verse 31, do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. We don't void the Old Testament. We don't take the Old Testament and try to rip it out. Here, let me... Got any good scissors? I want to take the Old Testament. I want to rip it out. That's what we do. And by ignoring it, we kind of do the same thing sometimes. We don't void the Old Testament law. The New Testament truth doesn't nullify the Old Testament truth. We don't turn our backs on the Old Testament. The Old Testament shows us the grace of God. We find wisdom in it. We see the warnings we, I mean, we, we, look at, we look at different people like David and see how he really royally messed up. And it gives us a warning, but it also gives us a hope because we see how God 
dealt with David. We see how you know, David repented and how he moved forward with God because his heart was for God. See, the Old Testament is still in effect for us. Paul says, because Christ came as our sacrifice, we have nothing to worry about because of our faith. Our faith is the work of Christ. That is our work right there. And we talked a lot about that last week, about putting our faith in the work of Christ. To say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I have no other way of salvation, no other plan. The the salvation is through faith in Jesus Christ. You know, don't be the, the, the guy who's afraid to marry the girl. I mean, you know the one, right? I mean, found the right girl, and he just can't, just, just can't do it because, you know, he's just afraid of giving up too much to marry this wonderful person. You know what I'm saying? Don't be that type of person. This is how some of us are. We want to hedge our bets. And Paul says, don't worry, don't do that because it doesn't work. You have to have faith. You have to have faith. Now, logic can get you to Christ, but faith is what gets you to believe in Christ. We can build on logic, but the point is this. It is right or wrong. Am I going to commit to this or not? So what does Paul do? Well, Paul doesn't throw away the Old Testament. He pulls the New Testament, I mean the Old Testament, into the New Testament to teach us about faith. And we t- we're going to touch on Abraham a little bit today, and then we're going to come back to it next week. But in chapter 4, he says, What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, hmm, he had something to boast about, but not before God. In other words, he was a good man, but he couldn't boast about that. Verse 3, it says, what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Apparently, righteousness was just handed to old Abe. Man. But it was because he believed God. This is why he got righteousness. He believed. This is what brought Abraham to his personal righteousness. He had faith in God he could not see. Now, what's really interesting here is he didn't have a Bible to read. A lot of it hadn't been written yet. Abraham is 500 years before Moses. Moses wrote what? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So 500 years before all of that, this guy had faith in a God he could not see. Paul says this is why God gave him righteousness. It's not like he earned it. God spoke to him. He responded. God coveted with him. In other words, had a relationship. And he took steps of faith toward God. And because of that, he was credited with righteousness. Now, I think Christians today really don't have enough knowledge about Abraham. You know, you got to go back to Genesis 12 and following for about 14 chapters there. And I want to encourage you, as you're watching your football game this afternoon, as the game starts to go south, pull out the Bible and start reading from chapter 12 on and read it this week. But you got to start there. Do your homework so I don't have to spoon feed you next week. But Abraham, he is the father of our righteousness, an example of faith for us. 
but some, you know, but also he's an example of faith for Christians, for Jews, and for Muslims. They all look to Abraham in a positive way. Even more so in, in say, like Jesus, except for Christianity. I mean, if you want to have a great conversation with a Muslim or a Jew, start with Abraham because you're not going to be fighting about that. You're not going to be fighting about that because Abraham is huge. Abraham is a, is, a, is a great man. Not as great as Jesus, but he's a wonderful man. Billions of people on this planet think Abraham is awesome. But Paul is saying that for a reason. Paul is saying to his Jewish friends, you think you were sons of Abraham because it was, it was a big deal to be a Jew. I'm a son of Abraham. And Paul is saying, but you're really not because you're not imitating Abraham. You're not stepping toward God in faith. You're stuck on the law. Hmm. Paul says, let me tell you about Abraham. Abraham didn't think he earned salvation like wages. Now, when a man works, verse 4, it says, now when a man works... His wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an, an obligation. See, if I, earn my, um, if I earn my salvation, then it's not a gift, right? If I come and work for you, we agree on a certain pay scale. I punch the clock. When you pay me, I don't come into the office and say, Oh, thank you so much, Andy. You gave me my paycheck. I'm so, you're such a wonderful. No, we've agreed on that. I've earned that. Someone might say, Well, you know, that's a lot of money. Yeah, but we agreed upon it. But Paul says concerning salvation, nothing like that. You can't earn wages for God, He can't write a check like that. So what, ha- so what has to happen? Someone has to come in and do the work for you. So how do you get enough credit? By doing the work of faith. And that's where faith comes in. It's a doozy. Faith is more than just a one-time acceptance of Jesus Christ. Faith is something that we need to exercise on a daily basis. You know, we may look at a very mature person when it comes to Christianity and say, how did they get there? Well, they started taking one step on faith and another step on faith, and they got there. It's just like any other profession. You go, well, how did that player get as good as he did? Well, he practiced. We need to practice our faith. We need to remember God's promises are true. That we're not wasting our time. Could you imagine if Christianity weren't true? What a waste my life would have been, right? Paul has reminded us, you can't even think like that. You have to have faith. Not something, faith is not something that can be taken away from you. We hold on to that faith. I mean, ever had something promised to you and it was taken away? So you don't have to worry about that with God. God freely gives it. He has been faithful to us and will be faithful to us. He has already proven that. In chapter 4, verse 4, he says, Now when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the man who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. See, then Paul quotes David. Now, Abraham 
is about 1900, uh, 1920 B.C., about 2,000 years before Christ. David is 1,000 years before Christ. Okay? He figures out the same thing. In verse 6, it says, David says, uh, David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. Think about that for a second. You are blessed because your sin is not counted against you. I mean, that deserves an amen or hallelujah, right? In your own life. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. That is a great concept. God will not calculate. God will not keep an account. He will not look at our payment, our balance sheet. He won't add up our sin and say, man, look at that total, Alan. He won't do it that way. How does God not do this? Because he puts Jesus Christ in between him and and us. He puts Jesus right there. Jesus becomes the filter. And when he looks at the paper, wow, zero, zero sins for Alan. And you're just sitting there going, yeah, right. But in God's eyes, zero sins for, put your name in there. That's how God looks at you. We're cowering before God. You need to go into the presence of God in, in a lot more, with a lot more um, comfort Because God looks at you as sinless. And His Holy Spirit helps you along the way. Now, technically, are we sinless here on this earth? Absolutely not. We all have sin. But God sees us differently because we have faith in Jesus Christ. That He forgives our sins. We get to go right into the Holy of Holies. We have an anchor of our souls that, are, that is there. So not arrogantly, but with boldness, we enter into the presence of God, claiming and accepting, accepting for myself that, you know, it's a biblical claim for me and my family that we will worship the Lord, that we will serve the Lord. We need to start claiming that. And I don't mean name it and claim it. You know what I'm saying? But I'm just saying that we need to start claiming our households for God. To say, this, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, yes, every single person has to choose. But as the leaders of our house, for the men and for the women of our house, to say, I claim this house for the Lord. To pray over the little ones. To start praying before the meals so they're not so uncomfortable when it comes time for them to start praying to God. That the little ones should grow up in faith. To become men and women of faith. Not to worry about the little things. Man, we get so caught up on the little things. I'm, you know, as as far as I'm concerned, and I've said this over and over and I'll keep saying this. I don't care what my son does in this life as long as he grows up to be a godly man. Both my sons. As long as they're godly men, I don't care. Whatever job that you think is the worst job in the world, they could do that. That's fine with me. As long as they're godly men and they act upon that in this life. That is the goal. You know, we think the goal is the CEO and all the money, right? It's not that. It's not that. To pray over our little ones. That righteousness is imparted into him or her. 
Because the Lord hears those prayers of the parents, of the aunts, of the uncles, of the grandparents. And if the child rebels, your prayers will drive them crazy, which only makes sense since they drove you crazy all the years, right? Blessed is the man who doesn't get what they deserve. We don't get what we deserve, do we? <laughs> this leaves us saying, thank you, Jesus. This leaves us saying, man, I'm so, lucky. I'm so lucky that righteousness was given to me. Paul goes on, he quotes Abraham, because the Jews look at Abraham as their father. I mean, uh, you know, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had father. A few of you, okay, a few of you can sing. But they had forgotten that Abraham was, was, was also the father of most of the Arabs. Somehow they forgot that part. He's the father of many nations. God told him he would be the, that he would do that, that many nations would be blessed through him. How did that happen? Well, through the kids he had. And ultimately through Jesus. In verse 9 it says, In this blessedness only for the, uh, for, Is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We've been saying saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Paul will show us that Abraham's God, that his righteousness happened before circumcision. Because circumcision was a big deal for the Jews, okay? But Abraham, I mean, it, it came to him before that. The Jews were big on the rituals, and it was all about rituals. But Abraham was the first Jew. He circumcised himself. Isaac, Ishmael, and the others. And it became a religious thing after that for some reason. And here's the point. Some of us feel that we have to work ourselves up to righteousness. And we cannot do that. You are never going to work yourself up to get there. Never going to get there. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how many great things you do. If you give everything away, it won't matter because it's not about working to righteousness. It's about believing. It's about faith. Righteousness only comes one way, and that's through Jesus Christ and his blood that was shed. It's the only reason why we believe what we believe. To believe is our work. It's not something that you can, it's not something you cannot see. It's work. It's something you have to do. It's work to convince somebody that you believe, you know, why you believe what you believe. I mean, they think you're crazy. They think you're wacko sometimes. They think you have to have a crutch in this life. It's work to convince them and to lead them toward Jesus. Some of them, you know, at least as coworkers. So many of them are, are faithful, faithful, just down home, just great Christians of all walks of life. Live up there in the, in the liberal bastion that we call the Bay Area, you know. And, and they're shining lights of that. And then there's other coworkers that look at us like, your husband does what? What? Okay. And they just think we're crazy. They think we're nuts. And I may be a little nutty, but not for that reason. But praise the Lord, some of them get it. But for us, we have to work at belief through faith. 
Early Christians would, would memorize all these creeds, stuff like we, we believe in God the Father, we believe in, in God the Son, and, and so forth. And they have, you know, they have the Nicene Creed and other creeds. They did that because many of them couldn't read. And they did this to remind themselves that there was others around them, that the whole religious system around us is not based on what we are doing for God, but it's based on our faith in God and what God has done for us. See, our job is to believe that. All our eggs in one basket, and we hand that basket to God. We can't depend on anything else for righteousness. Paul is saying he wants us to be true children of Abraham. Very simple. Not easy, but simple. Abraham didn't have a Bible. Abraham didn't have the prophets. Abraham didn't have the history. He didn't have a building to go to. He had nothing. The only religious practice he had was from Ur of the Chaldeans. And we're going to, or however you want to pronounce that. I just say Chaldeans. But, but, you know, it's a pagan, idolatrous practices. If you want to have some fun, if you're bored with the game and you've already kind of gone through Genesis a little bit, Get out your, your computer or your phone or whatever and look up Ur of the Chaldeans. You are Ur of the Chaldeans, and it's C-H-A-L-D-E-N-S, okay? That's how it, yeah, I can give you the spelling. And you will find an advanced civilizations 2,000 years before Christ with libraries and art and sculpture. It was an unbelievable believable, you know, civilization at that time. He came out of a great place a comfortable place, and followed God and went and lived in a tent. In a tent. And in many ways, Paul is calling us the same thing. To have great faith. God says to do something, do it. Now some of us will go, well, I don't feel like God's talking to me. Well, if you've been a Christian for a while, and God has already asked you to do something, and you didn't do it, maybe God's waiting on you to do that. Well, God's not talking to me. Well, he told you what to do. Do it. And then maybe God will give you the next step. To have great faith. God says something, you do it. That is Abraham. Walk by faith, not by sight. See, we're serving a God that we cannot see. And if you have to wait to see him before you believe, that's too late. It's too late. So you have to do it by faith. You are a child of Abraham. It doesn't matter if you have Jewish blood or Arab blood or whatever blood. You are a child of Abraham if you believe and have faith in Jesus. According to the Apostle Paul, a true child of Abraham is a person who displays the faith of Abraham. And the faith says, God said, has said this, therefore I believe it. God has said it, therefore I believe it. And guess how people will know it when we start acting upon it. Now, next week, we're going to see Abraham leave Ur of the Chaldeans and, and, and walk away from, you know, all the way to Canaan at age 75. 75. So it doesn't matter how young we are, how old we are, God can use us and will use us if we listen to him. Some of us may be going, well, I'm past my prime age. And considering my birthday was last week and I 
or this, this past week, and I turned 46, you know, I'm, I'm kind of getting there, you know what I'm saying? And some of the older people are just laughing at me. I, I know, I know, I'm not there yet. But I'm just saying, it's never too late, no matter how old you are, to be used by God. Now, I may not be able to be a professional basketball or football player or whatever at my age, you know what I'm saying? I should have practiced that when I was four, not 46. Though there was a 55-year-old college football player yesterday on the field. So that's a whole other thing. But it's never too late. God takes things at any age and he makes them new. Hallelujah. Every day he makes things new. And it's called a walk of faith. That's what we're called to have and what we're called to do is follow the faith. Nothing else. Well, why don't you stand and we're going to pray. We're going to pray for our meal, and uh, the band has uh, decided that uh, we're just going to not do our last song. We're just going to pray for our meal, and you guys can go right over there, grab plates, and start uh, uh, jumping in. So uh, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for men like Abraham and David and Paul and many others that have gone before us. Some were huge in the, in the Christian world and, and the godly world of following you, and some of them had just so, just such minor parts, yet they had the same faith. I pray that you bring us to a point of faith in our lives that, that we look to you, that no matter what happens in this life, good or bad, we follow the one true God, and we have faith that he will take care of us. For this time of Thanksgiving, Lord, I, I do pray for the fellowship and the food that we're, we're about to partake in, that you would bless that time. We thank, thank you for all the hands that made everything, Lord, and we pray that, uh, that it's a wonderful uh, afternoon just hanging out and talking and, and enjoying each other's company. But in the middle of that, Lord, I, I pray the faith is right there. The faith is the basis of everything we do. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you, and may he strengthen your faith this week. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.